Are you working? What kind of work do you do? This is the Midweek Podcast. I'm Will Connerly. He's Charlie Bornoff, and we're really excited to recap what is now weekend number four of college baseball winners, losers, weekend rotation, series pick, plus an extended series preview and just overall chat with Vanderbilt beat writer Aria Gerson at the end of this show. We talked with Aria, who's great. She's a Vanderbilt beat writer for the Tennessean, um, and we'll leave it at that. We talk all about Vanderbilt in that series. That's at the end of this show. But for now, Charlie, winners, losers, weekend rotation series pick from weekend uh, number four was really good. Um, It was. And there were some crazy things that happened, but let's get right right to it. Winners. Um, Who should go first? And let's hear it. You can go first, big dog. All right, Kentucky's my first winner. Probably not the mainstream winner that you would think from a lot of the teams that maybe turned heads in different ways this weekend, but they've been turning heads now for multiple weeks. It's Kentucky. They've won 10 in a row. They swept Southern Illinois, a team that I think should be pretty good this year. Uh, Maybe not because they've kind of burned me a couple times with thinking they would be solid, like in the opening series. Like I picked them in my small school draft and Wofford beat them a couple times and Wofford still hasn't lost yet since they beat them. But Hunter Gilliam, 13 hits last week. Uh, Kentucky's really hot. They are really hot. 10 in a row, 14 and two. Sweeping Southern Illinois is one thing, but the way they did it too, Charlie, um, that is the more impressive thing because when we talk about the SEC, Kentucky's probably one of the last teams that comes to mind. Um, But in their own right, They've been really strong in the non-conference, which not like the SEC needed any help, but that overall strengthens the schedule for the teams they play. And ultimately, I get it. They haven't really played anybody, but Mississippi State coming up in Lexington this weekend. Yeah, I'm a little bit more excited for that series now that they're on a 10-game heater. So that should be fun. Um, And putting up 21 runs in the series finale to get the sweep also just that that checks a lot of boxes for me. 10 in a row. Kudos to you. There's a lot of teams on some impressive win streaks so far this season and just right now. Uh, but that one kind of stuck out to me, Charlie. No, I agree. I think it's fair to say um, Kentucky has been the surprise of the SEC this year. Like when you think Kentucky, you don't think baseball, you think basketball. And then even more recent years, you think football after basketball. So baseball is not what they're known for. They've had very talented players in the past. Like we were both really high on Wright and Ritter a year ago, but the Wildcats look good right now, man. It's especially important when you're on this lower end of the SEC to get just for record looks and stuff like that for like postseason time to get these wins early. So 14 and two is, a great start for them. And speaking of great starts, we're going to go to the second best, if not the best conference in baseball, basically like 1A to 1B with SEC. We're going to the ACC, Will, because I'm taking Boston College. The Golden Eagles looked great this weekend. They went 4-1 and one on the week with a midweek over win over Tennessee, which is massive. And then the the really bigger win in the grand scheme of things is the fact they took a series over number 11, Virginia Tech. Um, Boston College, I, to put it plainly, was absolute dog shit last year. They weren't good. Like they know there's nothing to inspire them, but they're now 12 and two on the year. You know, like, well, Charlie, they haven't really played a lot of teams in their this that like Virginia Tech was their first um big series of the year, but I mean, they have now the win over V Tech. They beat Tennessee, like I mentioned. They also beat Rutgers as a good team, so they have good wins, but they're looking a lot better than people ever thought. And they've got a good series coming up too this week. They were the only ACC team a season ago that we said that isn't good. Like they were in that category. There were some like elite teams 
good teams and then some not so good teams and Boston college was certainly in the not so good category. They're off to a 12 and two star and they definitely have our attention now. I mean, you have to uh, Boston college, the they're commanding attention from everybody now with their 12 and two start and to pick up a win against Tennessee, seven to six in extra innings, just clutch stuff. Amazing. And then to go at Virginia tech at the time, the 10th ranked team in the nation and pick up that win. Yeah, that's pretty special. So now Boston college is going to have another road ACC test coming up this week as they go at Florida state. That should be good because Florida state has had some good series wins this year. Then they also dropped to FGCU in yeah. a series, which allowed FGCU to now be ranked a few weeks back. So Florida state in Boston college, that's a massive series. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about that later on in the show, but what a big win against Virginia tech because they came from the depths of a season ago when they were 19 and 34, not to mention they were five and 25 in ACC play five and 25, (laughs) but they just picked up two ACC wins here this past weekend. I love that pick from Boston college because They've just been doing some pretty good things. I think their catcher, Peter Burns, is a guy to look at. 357 average. He's been around the block a while. Uh, Barry Walsh, also somebody who's been clutch. And then Cameron Leary, six home runs. Joe Vertano, Vertano, he also is a guy with six home runs right now. And he's been hitting really well as of late. Um, he had two against Tennessee in that game that went 10 innings. He was clutch, but yeah, overall I'm excited now to see what Boston college could do. I thought that they had one of the best players in the ACC a season ago and Luke gold. He had nine home runs, mm-hmm. but you forget that they returned Vetrano who had the 13 bomb season a season ago and uh, Boston college. Well, they're commanding our attention. There's no doubt about that. I love that winner, Charlie. And speaking of uh, Florida Gulf coast, they're my second winner uh, because be. Joe Kinker is a guy to watch out for. He's been in five years of college. He just took over the all-time leading home run home run king now at Florida Gulf Coast, who's now ranked 20th in the nation, continuing to move up after they turn heads against Florida State. He broke the home run record uh, this past week. They're 14-3, and three, and they're still impressing after they took a series from Florida State. So Florida Gulf Coast, I think, is saying, hey, we're here to stay. I love that they're a team that isn't in the power five that it, that is ranked. It just goes to show that if you can play ball, you're going to get noticed. And that's what Florida Gulf Coast um, certainly has done this season. Uh, Kinker has been just an absolute monster. He won his second A-Sun player of the week honor this past week with a great week. And ultimately, they get two wins at Troy last week. Troy was previously undefeated. And then they take a series at Florida A&M. So kudos to you. Um, I'm, all eyes going to be on that series against Liberty and Florida Gulf Coast coming up this weekend in Fort Myers. So that's really fun. And uh, Florida Gulf Coast is my second wing winner. Kinkers hitting 408 through 17 <laughs> games with seven home runs, seven doubles. And yeah, count him up 49 in his career. So he's a beast. Yeah, he is. Um, They've been a pleasant surprise this year. I like, I, they were not on my radar, obviously. Uh, love they're doing good though. Cause I mean, the last time you, the, 
when I hear the uh, the name FGCU, which makes a lot of sense given the time we're in right now, is I think of March Madness. You know, I think of the upset over Georgetown. You don't you don't think of a base the good baseball program, but it's awesome to see them up there. They're a lot of fun. Hopefully, they can continue and hopefully Joe Kinker keeps doing Joe Kinker things. You know, I hope so. Who's your second winner? We're going to the Ivy League. We're taking Columbia, the Lions. While they are only four and six on the year. Now have two quality series wins, though, in the last two series. Over one, UNC, Wilmington, I believe. Yeah, or no, sorry. Wilmington? Let me check real quick. I'm tweaking. Wilmington, okay. I'm not, I wrote it down wrong on my notes then, okay. So, yeah, sorry. Go back off. So, Columbia over, wins over Wilmington, okay? But that's not the biggest win they have. They went down, Will, to Tuscaloosa, and they took a series against Alabama. That mm-hmm. is a massive win for a team, an Ivy League team, let, let alone any other team. That's huge. I mean, they're being led all the way by Hayden Schott, who's got a 442 average on the year already, four homers, you know, 814 slug. They're looking good. Um, usually when you go off to a slow start, you try to find things to hang your hat on to get your guys going. And two really good series wins like they just had, like especially with the Alabama one. I mean, it's hard not to come into this series riding high. And what was Alabama's record coming into that series? Well, what? They hadn't lost a game, yeah, Charlie. Right, so uh, when you they host Columbia and lose two of three, Alabama, those are their first two losses of the year. That Alabama's still 15-2, and two, looks pretty pretty, looks even prettier for the team that beat them in Columbia. That's awesome. My third winner is Charlotte and the 49ers. And you say, Will, what? Why? They're 6-9? and nine? And, nice. and ultimately, they, they just uh, – they split against Old Dominion because they won the first game 10 to 2, lost the second game 11 to 2, and then the third game was ultimately canceled uh, because of the inclement weather. So they go one and one over the weekend. They also lost to UNC Wilmington in a midweek. So not off to a great start, but typically, Charlie. Uh, we do winners for teams, but somebody yeah. that goes in to my winners is because he was an extension of a whole team, put the team on his back for Charlotte, nine innings, two earned runs, 17 strikeouts. Wait for it. No walks for Wyatt beautiful against ODU, arguably the best hitting team in the nation right now with Tyser and Hunter Fitzgerald, just hitting bombs. They're one of the best Lugging teams in the country right now of all the NCAA Division One teams and the Kentucky transfer Wyatt Hudafil. Well, he's doing great things, and that comes after this is what it is. Comes after he allowed nine runs in his last start and three and a third against Virginia Tech. He bounces back back against one of the best hitting teams in the nation. Go CG, and then again seventeen Ks. That that's good enough to be a team winner for me. Wyatt Hudafil. I don't know the exact pronunciation on that it's h-u-d-e-p-h-o-l so beautiful hue to fill nine innings though 17 k's no walks that's unbelievable 108 pitches 17 k's goes the complete game gets the win against odu when charlotte technically splits that but that was one of the most impressive things i saw all week i mean i don't know how you can not walk a guy in nine innings on top of striking out 17 of them unbelievable yeah, that's called putting your putting your team on your back right there. He was absolutely dominant. Um, my last winner is Virginia. The Hoos are now fourteen and one as we're recording this. Um, they went into Chapel Hill over the weekend against a very good UNC team. They took a W out of there. Um, Virginia's just been great all year. Like I'm gonna what Kyle Teal still hitting over five hundred. You have 
two other guys with um, Ethan Anderson and Henry um, got about hitting over 400. You have to go all the way down to Harrison Didowick to go down to a guy who's not hitting over 300 this year that has a significant amount of ABs. Like the second lowest, Griffin O'Farrell, sitting 333 on the year. And Will, it's not only the offense that's looked incredible this year, which we we knew the offense would be good, but Connolly early, 2.16 ERA. Brian Eddington, who looked very good in his start this weekend, 2.57 ERA. Jack O'Connor, 2.61. I mean, the guys that are performing when you need to perform are just balling out this year, and they are like very da- they're very dangerous. They are possibly the second best, if probably second best team in the ACC right now behind Wake Forest. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't be wrong in saying that when you look at what Virginia's done. They won 14 straight games to start the year and then lost the series finale at North Carolina to ultimately drop to 14 and one. But they still picked up a series win against a ranked Tar Heels team in Chapel Hill. So all the talk about Virginia coming into last weekend undefeated and okay, what can they do? Can they beat an actual quality opponent? Well, they just did it. They just beat a ranked North Carolina team. And like you mentioned, they're doing everything right. Let's look at Virginia of where they're ranked in the country in certain statistics, Charlie. Well, batting average, they're fourth in the nation right now, hitting 351 as a team. 351 as a team, fourth in the country there. They get about three doubles per game, which is sixth in the nation. They also have the seventh best ERA in the country at 2.66. They have the seventh best fielding percentage and eighth best strikeout to walk ratio. So they're top 10 in multiple hitting and pitching statistics. They've been great so far this year. I mean, Jake Jeloff, five homers. He was hitting home runs in Chapel Hill. No surprise there. And yeah, yeah, they hadn't played a ton of quality opponents, but that sweep over Columbia looks a bit, little bit better now. That sweep over Rhode Island looks solid, and then the series win over North Carolina is great, and then they travel to NC State coming up this weekend, so that should be fun as well. But yes, Virginia's been awesome. And speaking of awesome teams, Charlie, I wanted to throw in an honorable mention because in, yep. in honor of First team, second team, third team, and honorable mention, all conference recognitions coming out at the end of conference seasons for basketball right now. I wanted an honorable mention winner because they might not get enough respect, but it's East Carolina, and I, they are getting respect. I mean, they're top yeah. 10 team in the nation, <laughs> but it just feels like it's a team that you almost are so accustomed to them being in the same conversation as the Vanderbilts, as the old misses, as the yeah. wake forests. Well, they're there and they belong there. They're top 10 team in the country. They're 12 and three right now. They've now won six consecutive games and they just swept Liberty. Liberty of course yeah. is a quality team. We saw them in the top 25 a season ago. Um, so East Carolina, I think they're going to continue to keep winning and I can't wait till uh, they play Campbell in another, midweek coming up in march 22nd next week's midweek so that's a little birthday present for me right there yeah that's going to be fun and overall i mean the americans just going to be a gauntlet with ucf houston cincinnati wichita state Tulane. i mean it's just an awesome conference indeed um and so i'm looking forward to that overall south florida too so east carolina they're doing great work um top 10 team of the country well deservedly so and had to throw them in as a winner and then I'll say my honorable mention, which is me. Pat on the back. I went five and zero last week on our series picks. Good job. Those were some tough series too. So congratulations. That's got to feel you, good. Sir. It was a hard fought battle. You know, really strenuous for me. 
Well, speaking of battles, <laughs> sometimes there's winners and sometimes there's losers. Let's go to the losers now. Um, and should I keep it going with me going first or do you want to rack it? We can switch it up. I can go. All right, go um, ahead. My first one, and it will be an overarching theme throughout the losers. So it's overall Pac-12, but two of the teams are my losers. So the first one is Stanford. You know, you go one and three in your last four as we're talking about this. You lose your series against USC, which is always tough because, you know, in conference rivalry, uh, the other part is no disrespect to USC, but like Stanford's such a far superior program than USC is right now. Those, that's a, that's when you got to win when you're Stanford. And they also have a midweek loss to Santa Clara, who's not exactly elite either. Just a tough weekend for the Cardinal. It was. I mean, they dropped, but in the rankings, not out of the top 25, no. but no uh, panic sig- button. That's a for sure. significant drop. And, you know, you, you wonder, you know, about Stanford, how they can bounce back because this is a team you expect to run the table in that conference. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, of course, uh, a midweek loss, Santa Clara, the series lost to USC. I think that's something that you got to look at. Also, for me, um, one of the more viral college baseball moments of the year so far. Probably the, the most long, viral. For the wrong reason. Um, yeah. This is all over the internet. And Reggie Drummer, the umpire who screwed Davon Mims of an at-bat um, strike two and strike three, uh, were very questionable calls. If, if you missed it, it was Davon Mims hitting for Mississippi Valley State um, late in the game. I The game was probably out of, I don't I wouldn't say out of reach, but at the time, I mean, it was multiple runs. I mean, either way, Mississippi Valley State is at the plate. Davon Mims, who I think needs it's an opportunity to talk about how he's the best base runner in the nation uh, right now, leads the nation in stolen bases, 21 stolen bases, 1.4. So many. Yeah, leading the nation by a lot. And his teammate is second in the country and 1.4 stolen bases per game. So he got robbed of an opportunity to get on base and have people see the best base dealer in the nation get aboard. So that was tough, but it was Mississippi Valley State University at the plate, and he got called for a questionable strike two call, to say the least. And he kind of had a little bit of a reaction. Yeah, like, but nothing crazy. On. Like, like I mean, oh man, he's yeah, he yeah. was upset. I would, I would not call it disrespectful. Not that I don't know if anybody is, but if anybody were to think that, I disagree with that. Yeah, like he definitely was visibly upset that we could all yeah. see on the video. And it was a bad call. It was like a low breaking ball yeah. that like some I've heard some umpires say, okay, well, it's where it crosses the plate. But like when the catcher scoops, low. when the catcher scoops it out of the dirt, you know, yeah. you you hate to see that call to strike, even if it crossed the plate at the right yeah. time. But that one either way was low. And then the yeah. next one, the next pitch Gosh, is in the other batter's box, like no cap. The others you guys, if you guys haven't yeah. seen this, look it up. The other batter's box. I've never seen a strike three called this egregious. Yeah. Like I've seen some egregious calls, but he, he rung him up the next pitch to end the game. And the umpire just wanted to go home. And I think the umpire was probably just saying, all right, screw you. I have the power. I'm calling strike three yeah. on you. Cause you tried to complain on strike two and, and took the bat out of his hands. But, um, it's a win because the Southland conference suspended Reggie drummer, um, indefinitely yeah, as they should, um, because that was a horrific call, a horrific strike three call. I love how the broadcaster handled it at watching it. He just said that's a horrific call. And like, 
your job as a broadcaster at the end of the day is to call what you see. And like, yeah. that's a very fair comment at the time, but also you, you try to balance that throughout the course of a baseball season when there's many strike calls that should be balls and vice versa. This was very clear though. It was a ball. No, it was the other batter's box. And uh, that's a lot. That's my first loser. The umpire who called that um, and, and ultimately now is suspended. And obviously the one, two pitch, if it would have been two and two, yeah, I get it. They still probably would have lost the game, but it's just the fact that you were robbed of competition, you know? Yeah. And the other thing too is like, don't get me wrong. If there's a blowout going on, we all, everyone knows that the umpire will every now and then expand the strike zone or if a guy's going through like a really like bad inning, it's the same kind of deal. Like, you know, they'll give you the outside call. This thing would have, would have gone through like Bryce Harper's legs and then some, you know, that was an absurd, like there's no way he, Reggie Romer could ever warrant calling that a strike. And it, it seemed to me clearly he just was doing it. Cause he thought like he got disrespected by, uh, by Mims, which is like, Grow the fuck up. You're a grown man. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, it's not that deep. Like, you have an actual job to do and you're just going to spin everybody's face like that. Glad I suspended because I was just unprofessional. It was. I mean, that, it, it, it was just crazy to Childish. see. Um, overall, like, <laughs> it was, um, Mims, he, 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 he struck out. The game was over. Um, when I look at the play by play data, uh, for this game, because this was game one of the series. Um, Jeez. And Reggie Trummer was the home plate umpire. Yeah. Um, when I look at the play-by-play data, it shows that in the top of the ninth, Mims struck out for the game to be over. And so there would be no bottom of the ninth. But in the bottom of the ninth, it says that Kevin McClendon was ejected in the eighth inning. Um <laughs> For New Orleans. So someone was ejected yeah. in the eighth in a seven to three ball game with a runner aboard. I mean, e- even if you hit a home run, it's seven to five and you're still down two, but you can but that's, get to that's a close enough yeah, you run differential to, that you in theory could win. A home run puts the tying run on deck. So yeah, you know, with a guy aboard. So that that was interesting. Obviously, Mississippi Valley State lost the next day, thirty-five to three, oh my God. Um, at New Orleans, and then lost sixteen to three to end the series. So they got obliterated in that series, not only by <laughs> New Orleans, but they got obliterated by the umpire um, on that call too. So that's my first uh, loser. Yeah, that's a rough, rough week from weekend for Mississippi State. Um, my Mississippi next, Valley, Mississippi yeah. Valley. Sorry, excuse yeah. me. You're right, uh, alma mater, uh, Reggie um, Rice. Jerry Rice. I'm tw- oh my god, I'm got mush today in my head. Um, You're all good. Yeah, I'm tweaking, man. Okay, second loser. We all could have be, mush. Could, could just be my talking right now because I'm goofing everything up. But my second loser is Oregon State. They lost their first series in the Pac-12 to Washington State. Same kind of thing, like same things like I say to Stanford. Like Oregon State's a better program than Wash- Washington State. Um, no disrespect to Wazoo, but definitely a series that Oregon State should win. And now, because I'm looking at the schedule, will. Stanford and Oregon State play each other this weekend. So that now puts in perspective, like, one of those two teams, you're already mad that you dropped very winnable series to start Pac-12 play. Now, well, then it's going to be more pissed because they have to play a legit opponent and someone's coming away with two uh, Pac-12 series losses to start the year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting in the Pac-12 this year, Charlie. Oh, yeah. Um, with Stanford, Oregon State, Oregon. Like, who is going to be that team that can kind of – rain on teams parades you know it seems yeah. like you know washington state that's a massive win for absolutely them. a massive win they could have been a winner in their own right and they are for um, sure and usc so, 
Yeah, no, def- definitely. So I, I like that pick. And of course, Oregon State and Stanford, those are teams to watch. But hey, Washington State and USC, their teams to watch. It's funny in baseball because uh, you get a series victory and it's a three game sample, you know, and yeah. out of 50 to 60 games, a team plays, you know, but when we analyze this on a week by week basis, it's all about what you've do- have you done for me lately. And for sure, um, ultimately my second loser is pitchers because pitchers have not been performing that well this year. Um, from a general perspective, I, ju- I know I just had a picture on my winner, <laughs> you know, in yeah, but in fairness, he gave up nine the game before that. So, you know, yeah, and then he had 17 Ks and no walks the next day yeah. against Old Dominion. But speaking of Old Dominion and speaking of pitchers in general, people are hitting the crap out of the baseball this year. I know metal bats. I know guys are strong. I know people are hitting it 100 miles an hour off the bat. Jack Caglione's got 13 bombs in 18 yeah. games. Brock Wilkin has 12 bombs in 17 games. Hunter Fitzgerald has 10 bombs in 15 games. Ben McCabe has 10 home runs in 15 games. Colby Shelton has 10 home runs. In 16 games, you, you've you got so many guys right now, one, two, three, four, five with 10 plus bombs. At this point last year, the only guy even close to 10 bombs was Tommy White. He had like yeah. nine in the first eight games and then didn't hit one to like the 20th game. So, I mean, this is unbelievable how guys are just raking right now. So many guys killing. So I feel bad for the pitchers that have to face some of these, ten, some of these ten- bets. Put, let's put our tinfoil hats on for a second. Are the balls juiced? I don't know. Mm, I don't joking. know. <laughs> I mean, it's it's always a conversation, you know, when yeah. when offensive numbers rise, what yeah. what happens, is what conditions are going on. When pitching numbers go, okay, what's happening? Are they dead balls? And then when the hitters do well, are they live? Do they do stuff to affect the game? Yeah. The only thing that has affected the rules this year is that pitch clock, but I don't yeah. know. I don't know. That, I, in, I don't know that. I don't know how that would correlate to more home runs. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think that it. You could make the argument that it might be able to. Um, I heard Stephen Shock talking about that pitch clock has pitchers maybe rush. You know, they're not as refined yeah. of a pitch. You might hang a breaking ball. Uh, here, there, more. I don't know. I really don't. Um, That's fair. That is fair because, like, they're not pros yet, you know. So the pros, I think, will have an easier transition in the long run with that. Where, like, I mean, like, I wasn't good enough, obviously, to be in the situation, but I was a head case anyway. So I'm sure, like, if I realize I was only have like two seconds to throw the ball, I definitely could make a mistake for sure. Yeah, I mean, even seeing spring training, like Max Scherzer, yeah. like elite guys, like struggling with it. So it could be that. I don't know though. But guys are raking right now. That's a fact. And so pitchers, you're my loser. It's fair. My last loser is college baseball viewership this weekend. Um, simply because NCAA tournament, the first couple of days are always an electric factory because it's literally basketball from dawn till uh du- oh my God, dawn till dusk, right? Yeah. Uh so that will be tough because there's a lot of good matchups this weekend too. So I know a lot of teams are gonna go unwatched by some fans that would otherwise watch. It's understandable, but it's just tough. It's just a tough look. Especially when this is the best weekend yet. Seven top twenty-five series yeah. this weekend. Seven. You know, we couldn't even pick all of them. Um, Seven top 25 series. Some of them, like our conversation with Arya Gerson, there are going to be fans watching it because, you know, Vanderbilt and Ole Miss aren't in the March Madness tournament, but some are. And overall, just from a national perspective, you're right. March Madness will dominate not just this weekend, but most of the month, you know. So, yeah, which I understand. It makes sense. 
yeah. So that ultimately is that. And I agree. It is a little bit of a loser, but we're still going to provide you that content. Also, my next loser is the toilet. Um, the toilet, the teams, there's some teams have just been unimaginably bad this year. I know we do our small school draft and we pick our top five small schools in the non-power five that aren't ranked. And then we pick each a toilet bowl team. That doesn't really matter. The objective is just to pick a lovable loser. Well, there's been a lot of lovable losers, Charlie, this year. Um, you know, look at St. St. Peter's 0-14, New Mexico <laughs> State 0-13. I mean, you've got two teams that just, uh, you know, are struggling to just win any games. Northwestern's 0-12, Cornell's 0-9, Dartmouth's 0-7. You've got two Ivy League teams that haven't won a game. Northwestern's a Big Ten team that hasn't won a game. And then St. Peter's out of the MAC hasn't won 0-14. Yeah. New Mexico State 0-13. So, obviously, every year you're going to see some teams and you can just, you know, nitpick at the bottom. Uh, but, you know, there, there's quite a bit of teams this year that that are struggling um, in, in that regard. Yeah, it's a tough look. Hopefully, they'll bounce back. That's all I can really say. Long yeah. road ahead. That's what it is. Long road ahead. 0-14 right now is uh, takes the reins for the worst record in St. Peter's. But you never know. They – they uh made a run in March Madness before, so maybe True. they can turn the corner on the maybe, diamond. Maybe a little magic here in 2023. We will see. Weekend so, rotation time? Yeah, weekend rotation time. Um, I'll I'll hit us first, and I'm going to go with an arm. I would love to have this guy in my weekend rotation, Charlie. Car, Car Shield Collegiate League legend. He really was. I mean, and this dude is just amazing. He's a left-handed pitcher from Western Kentucky. It's his fifth year in college baseball, his third year at Western Kentucky. His name is Devin Turback, and he is just electric. I mean, he's been pretty good all year, and just he, I, I've always loved his game. He's yeah. going to fill up the strike zone with four different pitches, keep you off balance. Uh, but what he did this past weekend was um, – well, let's just put it like this. Otherworldly, nine innings, 14 strikeouts, and he didn't allow a run or a hit. So a complete game shutout. He threw a no-hitter and had 14 strikeouts to go along with it. So far on the year, he's been great. 23 innings he's thrown, and he's only surrendered six earned runs. Good for a 2.35 ERA. He's 2-1. and one. Uh, But against South Dakota State, he just threw a no-hitter. Complete game, shutout, no hitter. Devin Turback, well, he's my first winner. Yeah, he should be. I mean, that was the best pitching performance of the year, of the um, weekend, excuse me. Um, could have been the year. At, could be the year, honestly. It's young, but honestly, for right Thus now, far. it's tough there. I know he scored 100 on the D1 baseball score for pitching. I know he was the number one pitching performance of the week, so so like it makes total sense. Totally agree. Um, My we, first mm-hmm. – no, go ahead. What are you going to say? I was just saying, we got to see Turbarack a lot. No, he was um, good, yeah. Uh, at the Car Shield League, and we just – I knew that he was a dog. Yeah, we, we started the band. We started the bandwagon. I just remember he had like – he didn't allow a run his first 20 innings pitched no, that balled. summer. Um, So he was – yeah, he was a baller. Go yeah, ahead. We were we were ahead on him and Austin Tresser. That was another one. Yes. Look at Shout the, out to Mizzou. Yep. Uh, my first one, we're going to stay in the city that we both are born and raised in Will. Saying with St. Louis University here, the Billikens. I believe it's Pat Choicely. I apologize if I butchered that name. But anyways, uh, they only had two games against Northwestern because they got the last one canceled due to weather. But in those two games, he went five for nine with a, a triple, four homers and eight RBIs. It's just a really good start 
for um him on that get weekend against Northwestern, who has not been great this year. But you know, you get eight RBIs and four homers in two games, you're doing something right. And even better than that, though, too, Slew is on a 10-game win streak. And on top of that, Choice Lee is hitting 386 with a 1277 OPS on the year. That's good. That's Ballin, really man. good. Bills are looking good, looking a lot it, better than they were last year. Ten in a row, you'll take it. Absolutely. And what else will you take? Well, you'll take my next guy in my rotation, who is a guy that transferred from UCLA, a place known for pitchers, and Very came to the so. best team in the country right now, the number one ranked team all year long, LSU. You know, and uh, they've been great. What and how about arms? how about Thatcher Hurd so far? Oh. This year, he's my winner this past week because what he did, he started a game on Monday, went six innings of shutout ball, then came back and started on Sunday. So he had two starts last week and he went five innings of shutout ball. So he's made four starts on the year. Two of them came last week, starting Monday and then Sunday. And ultimately, he was just electric, picking up a couple victories in two starts, 11 scoreless. And he had 18 strikeouts in those 11 innings with just three walks. He was absolutely electric. And LSU is uh, obviously a force to be reckoned with, with everything they can do on every single spectrum of the game, pitching, fielding, defense, but um, and hitting, of course. But Thatcher heard just electric factory uh this past week yeah absolutely i think we'll eventually see him saturday as the saturday or sunday guy permanently for lsu eventually like i've been a big believer in him since last year he's one of my top freshmen to watch last year before he got hurt um was really excited to see him go to lsu he's been awesome all year um my next winner is or weekend rotation guy someone you already mentioned he was one of your winners will and that's why uh how do you say it again how do you pronounce it beautiful beautiful don't need to say much, but we'll just run through the numbers once again for Charlotte. Um, nine innings pitched, five hits, two earned runs, zero walks, 17 Ks against ODU. That's big time. 17 Ks in any game is absurd. Going not going the distance against a team like ODU is huge. And to bounce back after giving up nine runs the previous game, like that's big time. You, you know who really loves it is his ERA. Absolutely. No, that's huge. That is big time stuff. And Overall, you just got to give a lot of credit. Uh, credit's got to be there when it's due. How about uh, this one? I know we've already talked about Boston College. Well, Joe Vetrato is my third guy in my weekend rotation. Um, he was just really impressive. He homered in three consecutive games, going yard four times to start the week last week. He hit 350 over the week with four home runs, seven RBI, not to mention the Eagles went four and one. And he was a big reason why they were able to upset the number two, two team in the nation in Tennessee and also play the number 10 team of the country and pick up a series victory against Virginia Tech. He went three for five with two home runs and a double and three runs scored against the Volunteers. So I know he did it on the midweek, but he's definitely my winner from this past week. The ACC recognized him as player of the week as well. Big reason why? Well, he's been a beast. Joe Vetrano of Boston College, my third guy in my rotation. Yeah, if you're an ACC player of the week, you're doing something right. So well-deserved. Uh, my last one is we're going to go with Evan Giordano of Stony Brook. On the weekend, four for 22 against uh, Lafayette College. Five doubles. One triple and a homer. He's also now hitting 488 on the year with an OPS of 1.198. The dude's balling. I mean, that's a great weekend. Dude. Hitting it's over 500, 
five doubles. Five doubles is just a ton for, too for a weekend. Yeah, that's a lot. <clears throat> no, that's great stuff, and uh, I love that. Overall, he's just been great. Yeah, I mean, Giordano, you got to love it from Stony Brook. Yeah. Good pizza place too in Chicago. Giordano's. I guess it's close enough. Fourteen hits though. That's just in yeah. a week. Oh, uh, I think it's the week. Yeah, it's the weekend, right? Or no, it might have been the week. Either way. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, he he's great. So for me, I got a one honorable mention, a guy that we talked about after the opening weekend of college baseball when he homered in his first three college at-bats, right. Texas State against Northwestern. That's Chase Moore. Well, he's back in the headlines for good reason. It was weird, though, Charlie, typically as a freshman. And, you know, he's supposed to be an arm. He's supposed to be a pitcher for Texas State. <laughs> Had Tommy John surgery, so he's hitting a little bit this year. And he gets three okay. at-bats when the game is just blown out of proportion against Northwestern, and he homers three times in that series. Then doesn't really play much this past weekend, gets into the game, um, and holy smokes, he did it. He broke onto the scene with the three bombs, and then this past week he had a four-for-five day with four home runs in the same game, nine RBI, of course, 16 total bases in the game against, uh, what was it, North Dakota State, and they, they're they ultimately able to get the job done. I mean, Texas State's got to – I mean, you've got to be in the lineup now after that. Four yeah. home runs. He started the year with three home runs and three at-bats, and now he's hitting 391. With seven home runs, 17 RBIs in 23 at-bats, seven of his nine hits are home runs, and he had four in a dang game. Um, ultimately, that game was absolutely wild. They needed every single every single run from him. He was Sunbelt Player of the Week, and it was North Dakota State. Texas State got the sweep. They won 8-7 to seven game one, and then they won 19-18 to 18 in game two of the series. Barn burner. When Chase Mora had four home runs, then they ultimately get the series sweep, winning 5-1 to one on Sunday. But again, 19-18, barn burner, and Chase Mora goes yard four times, sets a home run record. I mean, my goodness, that's just so crazy uh, to know that he's able to get four home runs by Chase Mora. Yeah. That, that's amazing. No, that's insane. I mean, seven home runs and 23 at-bats is ridiculous. Absolutely. I mean, he's been absolutely balling out. And you look at this freshman, he's six foot, 154. Um, he was great. He's 154? That's what he's listed at. Oh, my God. And, yeah, he had three home runs in his first three at-bats. And then against North Dakota State, he had nine at-bats throughout the series and had four home runs. Yeah, seven home runs and 23 at-bats, nine hits, seven homers. Unbelievable. Four for five with four homers and a 19-18 win. Wow. It's a hell of, it's a, hell of a day. It is, and we're expecting hell of a days for big teams coming up. We mentioned there's seven top 25 series. We're going to be picking from three of them. Um, let's, let's start off our picks now, Charlie. All right. Um, first game we got is L- number one LSU at number 15 in Texas A&M. Very fun matchup. A&M's kind of getting it back uh, recently after a slow start, but I'm still taking LSU in the series. That's a good pick. It's hard to pick against LSU. They've been fantastic so far this season. They've been just mercy ruling everybody. But now as we start SEC play, I'm more intrigued to watch LSU this weekend than any other weekend because SEC plays upon us now and 
they've got a challenge. Texas A&M's 12 and four, um, and they've won seven consecutive games. So A&M and LSU is going to be fun. Uh, but I mean, this type of game, you just think that it's going to be something where a and is a tough place to play too. Like a and is one of the toughest places to play in the country. I'm still going to go with LSU. I think they're going to set the tone with Skeens in game one and, and and have enough offense to overpower a Texas A&M team, although they've won seven in a row and they're red hot. LSU's been, you know, the consensus best team in the nation so far. I think they get two of three. Yeah, it's fair. I like that take. Uh, game two, number 24, Alabama at number five, Florida. Uh, while Alabama is kind of like my baby this year and like sleeper teams, I really like what they have. Like Andrew Pinkney is one of my favorite players to watch. I think it's very slept on. I'm still going to go Florida. I just think Florida's the better team. It's hard to go against that team, especially with a guy like Jack Caglione is just balling out. Like him and Wyatt Langford is rolling with this team right now. And Josh yeah. Rivera's Josh Rivera's got a little bit more power than I thought he'd have so far this year. Yeah, what he's hit like eight home runs this yeah. year. I mean, this this series is going to have balls flying out the ballpark because Alabama Absolutely. can smack the ball around the yard too. Um, Colby Shelton has ten home runs. He was a part of my losers because if he's one of the guys with ten home run, one of five players in the country with ten home runs. So with five players in the whole country to have ten home runs, two of them are going to be in this series. And Colby Shelton of Alabama and Jack Caglione of Florida, Alabama. Though you know, you wonder how they respond after maybe a little bit of a disappointment. They're 15 and two right now, but losing two of three against Columbia at home. And now they got to go to Gainesville. I'm going to pick Florida in this one. I just love Florida's rotation. I think it's one of the best in the SEC behind Tennessee's. And ultimately I'm going to go with Florida in this one. Like you mentioned, Caglione and the boys, I think they do a really good job. And then that rotation is just nasty. And so I think that that's who I'm going to go with Florida. Yeah, they can score a lot of runs in a hurry. Uh, next one is number twenty-one FSU. Uh, I don't, I can't. It versus Boston College, so it's at FSU. Boston College, we talked about a lot today. They're hot. I'm still gonna go FSU. I just think the, I think the arms of FSU can really put this game, uh, put this series ahead of them for themselves. And it's not that, it's really more comes down to the fact that I am more comfortable with LSU's roster and know it better than Boston College's. I'm sure I'll get to know it more as the series goes on. But I do trust FSU's roster top down more than Boston College. There's a great story that Boston College is going through right now, but I think FSU is still the better team. I think Boston College keeps it going after picking up a win against Tennessee on the midweek and then taking two or three of Virginia Tech and knowing that how hard ACC wins were to come by last year when they only have five of them. And now they're sitting at two and one in ACC play going into a big series at Florida State. I think they're going to go in and take this series. Boston College is I'm picking Boston College and the Eagles to get it done in Tallahassee. It's going to be tough, but ultimately it's going to need you're going to need some good pitching performance performances um because like you said charlie how good florida state staff is you're gonna have to be able to manufacture some runs and keep keep the games a little bit lower scoring but um you know there are some bats on this team that you like veterano like we mentioned has been hitting it out of the park barry walsh peter burns cameron leary's been clutch for him i think that overall that they've got some guys that you say okay they can do some good things i think this is going to be one of the more competitive series this weekend um i'm really looking forward to seeing ultimately how this series will progress in many different ways jordan carry on obviously is the guy who really sets the tone um in terms of hitting for a ton of average and he's got eight doubles and a couple triples already this year um for florida state but i think 
think Boston College is going to get it done. Now, that's a very, very tough ask. I mean, Florida, if Florida State gets it to the bullpen, they could easily sweep this series, too, because Florida State's bullpen is just so nasty in, in every way, like in guys that they can just throw. Like we've talked about Florida State's pitching staff all season long, like Ballmeister. He he's been great. Seventeen innings Carson so far. He's one and one. Carson Montgomery is a really talented arm. Now he has a seven point seven one ERA right now. Eh, that's okay. But, but you think that he, with his stuff and his track record, you think that he's going to be strong this weekend. Baumeister also a starter in the rotation for him. So overall, you think that they would be able to get the job done in, in many yeah. different respects. Wyatt Crowell's one of the best arms in the country. He has a point eight seven ERA and a sub yeah. one whip through five appearances it does have one start a save in 20 and two-thirds innings tossed most on the florida state staff he's going to be a big factor this weekend i'm going to go with boston college though just riding the hot hand should be a fun one i like that uh next series we got we uc irvine versus cal state fullerton irvine's 11 and 3 cal state 6 and 7 i think irvine just has the better roster so i'm taking irvine yeah, that's an interesting one. I think Cal State Fullerton's going to get back on track of this series. Um, I, I like what they have. I know that whenever we talk about Cal State Fullerton, uh, you could go back to the beginning of the year. They were hanging with Stanford. They were. Um, in, in many different ways, and they've played a tough schedule. And, and you look overall at what they've done. They've they've got the talent. Every time Cal State Fullerton comes up, one name comes to mind, and that's Zach Lou, a guy who's been yep. around the block for a while. But you're right, 6-7 and seven, it, it isn't a great record right now, but they lost the series to Stanford. Uh, they lost a couple to Michigan, uh, but then they won a series against Texas, you know, so yeah. I, I think that they're going to get the job done on the road here in this series. And I'm going with Cal State Fullerton. Should be a fun one, though. And the last one, I feel like we should just give our picks. We're about to talk about it on the interview with Aria for so long. But number six, Vandy versus number three, Ole Miss. I've got Ole Miss in this one. Now I've got Vandy. There you go. Hey, you yeah. want to run through the other picks? They're not non-picks, I should say, the other good yeah. uh, series. So with series going on again, LSU, Texas A&M, Alabama, Florida, and Vandy Ole Miss, those are all top 25 battles. Also, the, there's two others, number 12, Oklahoma State, at number 22, Texas Tech. That should be a great one in Big 12 action. And then another ACC battle, the Red Hot Virginia squad. It goes to number 23, NC State, number 14, Virginia, at number 23, NC State, and then number 12, Oklahoma State, and number 22, Texas Tech. And then one series that that I think is a must-watch thing out of the Sun Belt, uh, Texas State and Southern Miss, which I think should just be a fantastic yep. series. Um, the be- one of some of the best hitting against some of the best pitching. Um, that's going to be so. I've been having I had my eyes on that series for a long time, honestly. So yeah. um, that one's going to be fun. Yeah, it should be. This is going to be a great weekend for college baseball. It overall is. And as we wrap up the show, Charlie, I just want to shout out a couple more things before we get done. Ahead, uh, shout out to former Quincy University Hawk baseball assistant Casey Demko. Right now, he's assistant coach at Abilene Christian, and uh, he's got the team right now uh, leading the nation in fielding percentage. And for those that don't know much about him, he was a guy who helped the Hawks, who didn't have a great fielding percentage for years. Then they were top. 20 in the NCAA and fielding percentage and double plays turned. Um, and he was the infield coach. Now he's at Abilene Christian. They're off to their best start in program history. And they're also a team that leads the nation in fielding percentage. And speaking of percentages, Charlie, how about Campbell? Their best ranking ever. Yes, sir. And they have the highest on base percentage in the country right now. So you talk about multiple first round type guys like Zach Neto and also a guy like Harrington. Well, hey, now they've got their highest ranking ever without the 
those guys. That's amazing what this Campbell program has done. They fire us up in every single stretch of the imagination. I love it. And then the last thing I'll say before the Charlie Bourne of Phoenix Gallery is open is New Mexico. New Mexico's offense leads the nation right now in runs scored and batting average. They scored 32 runs over the weekend against Air Force. And to be able to do that, you have to turn your head. Because obviously with how bad New Mexico State has been, um, at least New Mexico has been great. And so that's pretty cool to see. Also, shout out to Wofford. They were my winner from last week. They have the longest win streak in the country at 14 games. So there you go. Terrifying Terriers. Don't forget, um, we said we plug Aria. So if you want to follow Aria, she does a lot of good work. It is at Aria underscore Gerson. That is A-R-I-A underscore G-E-R-S-O-N on Twitter. Yes, and with that being said, we speak to her right now on the Midweek Podcast. Hope you guys enjoy as we preview the biggest series of the weekend, number six Vanderbilt hosting number three, the reigning champs in Ole Miss. Right now, we talk to Aria Gerson, the Vanderbilt beat writer for the Tennessean. Appreciate you uh, joining us here today, and we're going to be talking about Vanderbilt. They've got a massive series coming up against the reigning national champions in Ole Miss, uh, two teams uh, in the top 10 in the nation right now, Vandy sixth, Ole Miss third, according to D1 Baseball. I know there's a lot of different rankings out there, but Aria, appreciate you taking your time uh, to join us and talk uh, some college baseball. It's a great time to talk about one of the biggest series coming up really thus far in college baseball this season. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And Charlie, do you want to get it started? Yeah, I guess we'll start. Uh, I'm just going to cut it straight to the chase. Um, massive series, obviously. Really interesting uh, storylines throughout, considering like we were talking about before we started recording, last two reigning champions coming back, going at each other this weekend in Nashville. But um, what do you think is the biggest X factor for Vanderbilt going into the series against Ole Miss? It's definitely just whether somebody can step up on offense, whether that's Enrique Bradfield Jr., who's been in a little bit of a slump, or – Anybody else in the lineup, really, besides RJ Shrek, who's the only person who's consistently been hitting? Because, you know, in the past week, Vanderbilt won two games two to one and one game two to nothing, which is great. But I don't think that Ole Miss is a team that you can beat two to one or two to nothing. So somebody, they're going to need to score a few more runs. And I don't think it particularly matters who it is that starts hitting. But some people other than RJ Shrek will need to to hit a little bit better. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Cause like, I do think Vanderbilt, I think everyone here would agree that Vanderbilt is better offensive than they've shown so far. And I also like Ole Miss is a team where I don't care how good your pitching is. You're probably not going to get away with letting up two runs. Like they're going to put at least five up on, you know, like Ole Miss, um, they kind of remind me of like a grocery store. They're really living on this race within margins to create some profits. So, you know, it's tough to live like that in baseball. Yeah. I just think, that offense, like you said, it's so good that, you know, you can't really rely on shutting them out or the pitching being perfect against this team. It's fine when you're playing Loyola Marymount, but <laughs> if you're playing Ole Miss, that's a completely different story. And they, you know, Vanderbilt needs to be able to beat teams like that because the SEC is full of them. Absolutely. And I know that when we talk about this series and it is big and I think it's a big series for both teams. I know it's a big series in general um, when you got two teams ranked in this magnitude. And of course that's just going to be happening all throughout sec play. Six of the top seven teams are sec teams in the country right now, according to D one. But I think both teams um, for Vanderbilt, they've kind of had an interesting year. If, if we just, 
go back and talk about, you know, they sit at 12 and five right now, and they've had success at least winning every series, but it's been interesting. Kind of, as we've mentioned, the starters have been great, but what I've been more impressed with is the starters have been fine, but most teams, when you're playing, you say, okay, let's go get to their bullpen. But it feels like for Vanderbilt, they're like, we want to get to our bullpen because the bullpen's really good. Talk about how big the bullpen has been winning these close games, low scoring affairs. Oh yeah. I think you're absolutely right about the bullpen. Like the rotation is good. It's probably, you know, an above average SEC rotation, but when the starters come out of the game, it doesn't get any easier for opponents because it's not just one guy either. It's not just that they have, you know, there's teams in the past that have had one elite guy, like a Kevin Cops or somebody like that. But Vanderbilt just has so many different guys. There's Nick Maldonado, who's been their closer. Thomas Schultz, who was their closer last year. Uh, Bryce Cunningham has been really good in a multi-inning type role. Ryan Genther, who's their main lefty reliever, has been really good. They just have so many different options that they can kind of mix and match depending on what the situation is, what they need out of any given game. And that is will make it really tough on opponents because when Vanderbilt gets the lead in a game, they're going to be really tough to beat. Yeah, and to go off of that too, for you, Aria, um, Everyone knows Nick Maldonado and what he's done in the past. And like, we knew he'd be an arm they could call on the whole time. But for like, you know, you're obviously very into Vanderbilt because you cover them all the time. Has it been kind of a, like a pleasant surprise with how good the arms have been out of the pen? Or is this kind of just like, this is classic Vanderbilt. Like we should expect this every year. I expected their bullpen to be elite. I expected it to be one of the best in the country, just given the fact that they returned almost every pitcher who made contributions last season but I don't know that I was expecting per se the exact people that have been the best so far, like Bryce Cunningham last year, you know, he was, he's a sophomore this year. So last year, the freshman, he was kind of in a swing role. He made some starts. He made some really appearance. He was fine, but like, he wasn't the person that I looked at on this staff and was like, he's going to come back next year and be like an elite reliever, <laughs> but he showed up looking really good, you know, much improved from last year. And you know, some other people have stepped up as well, but that is kind of how it, it is. It, you know, that's why I thought it was going to be good because so many younger pitchers were returning and, and with some veteran guys in Maldonado and Schultz on the back end, but also the younger pitchers and a lot of them do tend to kind of improve as sophomores. So I was optimistic going in. Gotta love the, gotta love the sophomore bump. Well, and that speaking of sophomores, that's, you know, kind of what your starting rotation looks like right now. But when we talk about your pitching staff just this year and how they have had success, you're going up against an offense this week. And Vanderbilt is when, when you got names like Jacob Gonzalez, Calvin Harris, Kemp Alderman, who's just been unbelievable. And I mean, some other name, you could just name their whole lineup looks like everybody just wants to hit 370 through 400 and they're hitting 343 as a team um, being able to slow an offense like this down. I think it's going to be interesting, but also I just want to ask in your history uh, covering the SEC, do you find that sometimes, and we talk about it and when teams hit 350 in the non-con, like let's be honest, nobody's hitting 350 in SEC action. How much does do those numbers uh, play into that factor? And, and do think, do you find like things will ultimately balance out or is it kind of hard to tell with how good Ole Miss is? Yeah, I think just given the talent that Ole Miss has 
in their lineup. I think they're going to be one of the top offenses in the SEC all season long. Obviously, they won't keep up their same numbers that they have right now. I think one thing that's worth noting is Vanderbilt has played the hardest schedule in the SEC so far. So there's a lot of teams in the SEC that have kind of been feasting on worse pitching than what they'll see in the SEC, which of course doesn't mean that they're bad teams, but it's just more of a factor of Vanderbilt might be showing something closer to what they might look at like in SEC play, whereas other teams, you might not have as much certainty. But I also think that, you know, again, this, this team, this offense of Ole Miss has a track record and they have so much talent that, you have to believe that that they're going to be a potent lineup all season long. Yeah, that's a great point. Cause I mean, I do think um, it's, I always like when a team plays a hard schedule to start off before conference play, cause this gives us a better idea. I think typically of where they're going to be towards the end of the season. And to go off that, then how important do you think this specific series is for Vanderbilt? Because not only do I think it's just, every team loves to get off to a good start in conference play, but like, I mean, Vanderbilt's not making easy on themselves this year. I, the, from mid-April on, it's South Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, Bama, Florida, Arkansas. So, like, getting ahead first on a team like Ole Miss seems huge. Like, on a scale, like, 1 to 10, what would you give that? Yeah, I I would say it's, like, probably 7 out of 10 in terms of how important it is. It's not going to be as important as the Tennessee series. But yeah. I think that, <laughs> you know, Vanderbilt's one of those teams, I think it doesn't really matter – where the wins come from, as long as they get around 16 to 17, they'll probably host. But obviously it's important to get some of those wins on the board early, which is why I like what they did with their non-conference, because even though it didn't always look great, they played some really tough opponents and they won all four weekends. And so now they already have wins over teams like UCLA, Maryland, Oklahoma State. Uh, those, Those sorts of wins will help them later on when it comes to their hosting resume. But Ole Miss is another team. If you take that series in March, you it doesn't get taken off the board. They will sure. always have that series win over Ole Miss the whole season. And so I think it's you know pretty important to get off to a good start there. Same time, this is a team that has shown that it can recover if it gets off to a bad start. Absolutely. When we talk about your pitching and how much success they've had, the offense has struggled a little bit for Vanderbilt this year. Maybe it's an opportunity to get going against an Ole Miss pitching or starting rotation that isn't all that great, at least to start the year. Xavier Rivas, uh, somebody that Charlie and I saw throw at the University of Indianapolis the last couple of years uh, when we were at Quincy at, from a Division II level. He's in the rotation for them, and he's had some good starts and some bad starts. But overall, the loss of Hunter Elliott really feels like this rotation isn't as strong as it maybe could be, and, and certainly Vanderbilt. Is there some names you look to maybe break out of slumps or, or names that we should watch offensively that could put a challenge on this rotation? Because they have been challenged uh, so far this year, which probably is a spot where it, it favors Vanderbilt with the pitching rotation matchup. Yeah, Enrique Bradfield Jr. is the obvious one. He's been in a slump, but he obviously has a track record of being – a two-time All-American. So I'm, you know, assuming that he will probably break out of that soon and, and this weekend would be a great time to start. Uh, they've had a couple of freshmen who've been in the lineup, RJ Austin and Chris Maldonado, and both of them have had hot streaks where they've been really good. Obviously, anytime you're starting freshman, it's going to be a little bit up and down. But if one or both of those two could make a splash this weekend, again, that would be another 
really key thing. And then the other one is Jonathan Vastine, their shortstop, who had a really good start to the season and he had a really good summer in the Northwoods League as well. Again, he's not been at quite as good the past week or so, but he has shown a pretty well-rounded skill set as well. And he could be another person who, if the offense is going to get going, he's somebody who I would probably bet on to do it. And just, just curious, it's odd to me that Bradfield's um, starting so slow this year. Is, is there something he did like in the summer like to tweak his swing or anything? Or do you think it's just kind of like it's baseball, he's just going through a rough patch right now? Yeah, I think it's just a slow start. I don't know that he changed anything per se. Uh, you know, he's still he's still walking more than he strikes out and, and all of that. So it's like the underlying stuff seems fine, I think. You know, it, it might have just been the weather's cold and yeah. all all of that. He, I think he started slow last year, too, so he might just be one of those players who's kind of a slow starter. It's fair. And the a thing with a guy like him is when you're pitching to him and you issue a free pass and you try to dance around him, it's basically a double. I mean, <laughs> he's gonna <laughs> steal, he's gonna steal a thousand bases. I um, mean, he's still, I mean, he's doing he has nine stolen bases. So that's the the interesting part. He's the most threatening guy on the base paths as well. Um, and, and obviously defensively. He's just he's just a beautiful thing to watch. You know, when we're watching baseball overall, it's it's probably really cool to see day in and day out. Oh, yeah, his defense is incredible. Every single game, pretty much you you see him make a catch that he makes them look so easy and they are not easy. He'll run down pretty much any ball hit into the gap. And you're like, how did he catch that? And I think, you know, Ole Miss is familiar with with him from having faced him the past two seasons and last year they in Hoover, when the two teams played in the sec tournament, they did a pretty good job of keeping him from stealing mostly by throwing over about 25 times. But <laughs> at the same time, he was constantly on base. And even if he couldn't steal, you know, that he he's going to score, he's going to take the extra base on hits. He's very, you know, you can't just throw over to prevent him from yeah. scoring from first on a double or something like that. So it's still not not easy to handle him at all. And he makes a difference on both sides of the game, too. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, speaking of guys that make an impact for Vanderbilt this year, how important has RJ Shrek been this year for you guys? Because he really is about the only consistent producer so far on offense. Oh, yeah, he has been really, really key. He's been hitting really well. You know, he obviously has a ton of experience, and it shows. He's that guy where, like, say you have the base loaded with one out and you just need to get a run in. Like, he's the guy you want up because you know that he has power and he he can hit homers, can hit doubles, but you also know that if you're in a situation where you just need to make contact, he can do that too. Yeah. And so, you know – it's really been, I think, the veteran uh, presence that, that Vanderbilt really needed on offense. And in fact, some teams, especially in the midweeks, have opted to just intentionally walk him. Uh, Loyal Marymount intentionally walked him with two outs in the third inning in their series, uh, oh which was a bit of a surprise. But uh, I think he was intentionally walked twice during their 17-inning game against Evansville. So that's the kind of impact he's making that that some teams are opting to just put him on base rather than try to pitch to him. 
That's insane. Like, no disrespect to RJ Shrek, but usually that's reserved for like Barry Bonds, and that's about it. <laughs> that's funny. That's good stuff. And and Arya, you brought up Hoover, and I remember uh it was Carter Holton who pitched against Ole Miss um in the SEC tournament, and he pitched really well. So it'll be cool to see if he can shut down a similar lineup. I mean, obviously there's no Tim Elko, no Kevin Graham, but you know, they still got a few of those same characters um in that lineup and he's had success i mean him having success is no surprise against any team but he had it against Ole Miss in the SEC tournament um just one year ago yeah and he was one of the last uh pitchers to beat them i think they lost once in the college world series but you know they were a very hard team to beat at that time and he pitched six shutout innings against them in the SEC tournament and that was despite a, not a super great start to that game. He, they were fouling off so many pitches. He had like multiple, like 10 plus pitch at bats, I think, and ended up really settling in as the game went on too, which was really impressive for a freshman. And, you know, he's been their Friday starter this year. I'm expecting him obviously to start on Thursday. And he's just really pretty, pretty steady. You know, you know that you're going to have a chance to win any game that he pitches. He's not necessarily, you know, the flashiest pitcher in the league. He's not like Paul Skeens who ends up on everybody's Twitter every single time <laughs> he pitches, but you know that you can trust him when he pitches. And I think that that's kind of an underrated quality to, to have. He rarely gets blown up. So I think that he, he's obviously familiar with this team and they're familiar with him. Uh, so, you know, I think that's, if you're Vanderbilt, that's a way that you're probably hoping to start the weekend off with him. That's true. Um, I think you made a great point. I think Carter, Carter Holton is like, um, he's like, he's just like a boring stocky buy. Like, you know, it's going to grow steadily. It's not, it's not a boomer bust. It's like, like buy it, leave it for 10 years. Good things will happen. Um, going off of like the fact that Carter Holton and the matchups in this series, what are some that you're excited to see in this series? And then also ones they think will be uh, X factors for like, uh, Vanderbilt to win the, the series as well yeah one matchup I'm looking at I guess it's technically multiple matchups but Jacob Gonzalez versus Vanderbilt's left-handed pitchers yeah. Vanderbilt uses very heavy on the left-handed pitchers not just Carter Holton but Hunter Owen Devin Futrell and Ryan Ginther are also three lefties who play a big role in this uh, pitching staff and you know Jacob Gonzalez obviously one of the top left-handed hitters in the country and so uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does against the staff that skews that heavily towards left-handed pitchers. Uh, and then I think Enrique Bradfield Jr. versus Ole Miss's defense. Can they keep him off the bases? Can they keep him from stealing bases? Can they keep him from scoring on, you know, sometimes Bradfield, like he'll just hit a routine ground ball. And because the, the defense feels the need to speed up, they'll make an error. He reaches on a lot oh, of sure. errors. So even just that, can they keep him from wreaking havoc, I suppose? And then my last one is just, you know, Ole Miss's offense versus Vanderbilt's bullpen. Vanderbilt's bullpen really has not given up a lot of runs, and the runs they have given up, a lot of them have been off pitchers that usually come in a game that's not particularly close. Yeah. And so – it's kind of a can Ole Miss, which is probably the best offense this team has seen, 
get anything off that bullpen at all because they they haven't really been allowing anything. So if Vanderbilt can get get a lead, will they be able to just shut it down from there? Yeah, I, I didn't even think of the Gonzalez left-hand lefty. That would be a really good one to watch. I, I The one I'm just pumped to see is purely a fandom one. Just, I want to see Kemp Alderman go against Carter Holton. I'm pumped for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one, too. Really, anybody in, in this lineup <laughs> versus True. Carter True. Holton. <laughs> star bat versus star pitcher, always a good combo. And um, speaking of combos, I wanted to ask uh, one of the best combos I think just in college baseball over the last decade is Tim Corbin and Scott Brown. Um, when you when you talk about, you know, Tim Corbin and being a legend, but the pitching coach, Scott Brown, you t- I mean, you talk about Vanderbilt by many measures going from back to back College World Series appearances, winning it um, in 19 to not getting to those supers last year. Like Scott Brown still they had a, they always have an incredible pitch staff I just wonder is this year where do the expectations lie after from Vanderbilt standards maybe the season didn't go as planned and I know that obviously you get to find out really quickly in SEC action where you have ultimately line up against it you mentioned you know two of the last three national titles winners going up in this series and then hey the one who won it a couple years ago Mississippi State coming um, or you go to Starkville that next week but overall with Corbin and then Scott Brown how have you seen him just be a masterful mind in the pitching world every I mean you guys had 10 shutouts out a season ago, which led the nation on the mound. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really shows you mentioned last year they did lead the country in shutouts. And it's funny because that was considered to be, you know, not one of their better pitching staffs. And they were starting a ton of freshmen. They were actually starting the most freshmen that they had started under Corbin, like pretty much ever. Well, it was three people, but the number of starts that they were making was very high for, they don't usually do that, but you know, now they're all sophomores and now you're like, okay, well, this is where it gets really dangerous for other teams because (laughs) they show up and they look even better than they did last year. In a lot of cases, you know, they have a reliever who has a hundred mile an hour fastball and he's like not in their top, like five or six best relievers. (laughs) So It's a really dangerous depth wise and it's really dangerous in terms of just how much they returned and how much, you know, potential for improvement there was considering that it was the youngest pitching staff in the SEC a season ago. Um, And I think that as far as expectations go, obviously the expectation is to get back to hosting a regional, get back to at very least super regionals and hopefully Omaha from a fan standpoint, because a season I feel like from Vanderbilt fan standpoint, is always disappointing if they don't go to Omaha, but especially given how good the sophomore classes turned out. And that's, you know, you have somebody like Carter Holton who was, was a top recruit and he was getting all the buzz, but you also have a couple guys who were not, super big names who have also carved out really important roles by the, their sophomore seasons. And it's kind of a, a standpoint of if you can't, if you have a recruiting class that was this good, you want to win something with them, you know? For sure. 
So going off all of that, do you like Vandy's uh, the fact? Do you like to have Vandy matches up against Ole Miss in this series? Because I do find it interesting the fact that the weaknesses of both these teams is just the inverse of the other. So do you like that for them? Because I I typically am a guy who's like pitching and defense usually will keep you in every game, but with like a team like Ole Miss, like I mean this if they put up eight, it's just a, a, with the, a, the way Vanderbilt's playing, it's tough to come back from that. Yeah, I don't love this matchup for Vanderbilt. I think that, you know, a year ago they had trouble with this type of team, whether it was some somebody like LSU is what I would point to that was maybe a similar profile last year to what Ole Miss is this year. And they got swept by LSU, notably. Uh, but what I will say is if there's one thing that's in Vanderbilt's favor this weekend, it's that this series is in Nashville. It's mid-March and the weather is going to be like in the 50s. That's true. And when it's cold at Vanderbilt's ballpark, it really plays as a pitcher's park. And there's really a lot fewer runs. The ball doesn't carry very much. And so that's different from what it is at a lot of other SEC ballparks. And so if there is a time for them that it is ideal to face Ole Miss, it is early in the season when it's still cold and when they can try to play that to their advantage by kind of dampening the run scoring there. I like that's good. That's, I like that. Why is weather's underrated, especially in baseball? Yeah, there. I mean, there's no doubt. If when it's chilly, and also you think that it it affects the the hitters, it affects the pitchers, it affects a lot of things. But also, just like you mentioned, the atmosphere going to affect the carry of the ball. And, and like Vanderbilt, like you mentioned last week, winning games two to one and two nothing against Loyola Marymount. Maybe not going to see those type of games against Ole Miss. They would hope, but maybe the weather and the conditions can play a role into that. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, too. You you wonder each arm not getting the full week of rest. They they go a day shorter for their starts. Do you feel like that could play a role in affecting things with the weather being a little bit chilly? Um, maybe for the the Friday and Saturday games, I don't think it will have too much of an effect on Carter Holton because I think that he is, you know, it, it's funny that that we call him like the the veteran one or the experienced one because he's a sophomore, but like he's the one who was in the rotation all of last season, and he, I I don't think should have any issue. You know, last year he was moved; he was starting on Sundays, and then he was starting on Saturdays, and then he was, you know. M- made a Tuesday start at one point and then he was starting on Fridays. So he kind of moved all around and I don't think that that has much of an impact on him. It may be more of an issue, like I said, for their second and third starters, Hunter Owen has a little bit less starting experience. Uh, and, and then Devin Futrell, if he starts on Saturday, uh, you know, wasn't as good this week as he was prior weeks. So, I don't see it being a huge issue, though. They they have Thursday, Saturday series every weekend, and I don't think that they're, that's typically been a huge problem for this team. All right. I have a few non-Vandy-related questions, if that's okay with you, but still SEC, because I think I think we've talked a lot about Ole Miss-Vandy already, but I've, I also just ran out of questions, so I'm being totally honest. But um, first question would be, who has been the biggest surprise for you in the SEC, player or team-wise? Because like, I know for me, like, Jack Caglione that came off out of nowhere. That was crazy. 
Yeah, it's probably Jack Caglione. I was honestly very high on Florida. I thought that they would win the SEC East, notably. Yeah. But I don't know that I thought it was going to be because, like, Jack Caglione is the favorite for <laughs> SEC player of the year. Yeah. Um, but I actually was thinking of him more as a, a pitcher coming into the season. But just obviously he's been an incredible He's just been incredible so far. And I think that he was not necessarily on my radar to be that type of player. No, absolutely. I mean, it says a lot when you can steal the spotlight away from Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens. Like, you're doing that, you're doing something right. <laughs> no, that's that's a big thing. And to stay with the SEC, we both saw – and you do great work on Twitter. We'll, we'll mention uh, your Twitter bio in our show notes uh, so people can follow. But we saw that you posted a poll – about um, the SEC um, scheduling that's coming out. And I find that very interesting how there's going to be two locked-in opponents and then it'll, the others will rotate once Texas and Oklahoma come in to make the best conference even better. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on who you think, uh, what you think the schedule should look like with the 30 games and two permanent teams and then rotating against the others. I, I saw that that poll that was intriguing to me. I know Tennessee, uh, but do you have a personal opinion on who that other uh, permanent opponent should be? You, you wish they could all you wish you could have more than two permanent, but obviously with the schedule, it's hard. But ult ultimately, do you have some thoughts on that? If I had to pick one that I would personally want, I would pick one of the Mississippi schools, either Ole Miss or Mississippi State, just because I think that it's not really a rivalry right now because they don't play every year. But I think that if they did play every year, it would become a really great rivalry. Uh, you know, they've faced Mississippi State in the postseason several times, and that's kind of how their rivalry with Louisville got started. So I think that those could be really great. But I think that they will end up what I think will actually happen is that that second opponent will probably end up being Florida or South Carolina, just because those two teams don't necessarily have a ton of natural rivals. And so I think that one of them will get matched up with Vanderbilt to avoid having to go to one of the more further West schools in the SEC, which, you know, those, those would be pretty good matchups too. Florida and South Carolina, hard to complain about, those those have had some really good series over the years too, but I just think that Ole Miss or Mississippi State with Vanderbilt could become a top level rivalry if they played every year. I like that. I I, I was hoping for Florida to be honest, just because I I find I I see similarities in the way those two programs are run, so I kind of like that. But uh, no, that's a good one. With um, for, oh, I was gonna ask you another question. That's right, I was tweaking. Um, who in the SEC do you think has been slept on by the media so far? Ooh, interesting. Um, it's it's weird to say just because of how they've started their season, but probably Texas A&M, just because I feel like obviously they've started very poorly. Like I'm not yeah. going to give an excuse for that, but they have so much returning talent in their lineup that I feel like they have to start playing better than they have. And they started really slow last year, too, and they still got a national seed. And so I feel like anybody who's written off Texas A&M at this point, I feel like they're going to end up right in there at the end. I like that. That's a good pick. And I also remember my other question I was going to ask you. Do you like that they're doing the two permanent teams with 
because like I everyone no matter what decisions made like people are mad and people like it do you are you a fan of it I would have preferred a five and five with five permanent opponents and five rotating I just think it makes more sense since you play five opponents every year five other opponents every other year yeah uh, it's just a, a nice round number, but I guess that, you know, two and eight is, is fine. I guess I'd rather have a, a system where you're seeing every team more often as yeah. opposed to less often you're playing every team at least once every other year. And I'd rather have that than something where they're like, Oh, well, you're going to face these eight teams every year. And then some teams you might not see once every four years or something yeah. like that. No, I agree with that. Cause it's kind of tough, especially like, sorry, well, let me cut you off, but uh, it's just sometimes like, it's inevitable. Like you'll just, there'll be so really, there'll be a couple of years where like, you know, whoever it's like, they don't play A&M for a long time. Like A&M's, you know, the premier program because they brought them all the way back. And it's like Vandy A&M one, two, we don't get to see them for two years. No, that's a good point. And also with the change there, is it going to eliminate the division format then? With it's just going to be an open division, or how's that? Is how the, yes. how's that going to work with sixteen teams? Yeah, the SEC announced that they're getting rid of divisions with sixteen teams. So, I guess the winner will just be whoever has the best record. Which, I mean, it, obviously, it's always going to be a little bit imbalanced in terms of the, the yeah. scheduling. But I think that in a league where every team plays at such a high level. It's honestly hard for me to see the scheduling becoming that big of a problem just because there's only a few teams every year that are just bad. And so it's not like one team is going to get, you know, on their schedule, they're going to get like five bad teams or something like that because there usually aren't five bad teams in the league. So, you know, we'll see how that, how that goes. But I honestly like, I'm fine with them getting rid of divisions. Yeah. I never, I never thought they played that big of a role in the end. Like, I kind of like the no division thing, like, like you said. And, like, a great point, too. Like, if there is ever a league where you, like, uh, there isn't a reason to complain about, oh, they're playing a cupcake schedule, it's the SEC in baseball. Like, everybody's hard to play against. And then also, um, less about baseball, but what is what stadium what um stadium or field do you think is the best outside of Vanderbilt in the SEC? Ooh, so I have not been to a lot of them personally, but one that I have always thought looked really cool to play at was um South Carolina's. And Ooh. I've been to some I you know, I went to a football game there a couple of years ago and I was really impressed by their fan support. I think they their fan base is probably one of the most underrated in the SEC. Um, and so I think that that's one for sure. Obviously, you have to to say Mississippi State and LSU for are sure. two of the top. But I think that South Carolina is one that that is kind of underrated, is I, like I guess that. how I put it. Yeah. I do want to go to Miss- I do want to go to Mississippi State. Though. Eating barbecue in the outfield just seems like it'd be the best time ever. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that you're giving us your opinions on all of these uh, questions from us. It, it's awesome. And I have another question. I don't think, I mean, I have my personal opinions on it, but obviously this year, and we've seen this rule come into effect for one particular team a lot. And that's uh, the 10 run rule. I mean, I think LSU has 
run ruled. I think seven of their 15 wins are run rules. And I think three others could have been run rules, but they didn't agree upon it before the game. But in SEC play, um, after seven to 10 run rule, do you like that? I'll just personally say, I think it's a great thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't really, I guess I don't really have strong opinions on it. I think it's fine. And, you know, as a media member personally, I will never complain of anything that prevents me from being at a, a really not interesting game for an extra <laughs> hour. You know, if somebody's winning like 20 to two so or true. something, you know, do you really need to sit through an extra hour of that? Maybe not. Uh, I, I do see the drawbacks to it, but I just don't really think they're that big of a deal. You know, somebody comes back from that type of lead, like, like it's possible just rarely happens and I think that you know what I do think is interesting though is for instance Vanderbilt they they do have one run rule win but a lot of their non-conference opponents have actually chosen not to use it so most of their midweeks have actually not that the run rule would have come into play anyway but a lot of their midweeks have actually not been using the run rule and so those are probably like the opponents that you would think might want to use it or some of their midweek opponents and non-conference opponents, but most of them have actually opted not to. And so I think that that was an interesting aspect of it. And it probably won't happen that much with how competitive the SEC is, but if it does like, okay, you don't have to burn an arm, this or that you, you media members don't have to sit there for another hour or whatever it is. But I just find it funny because you see the utter domination of a team like LSU, who's just been abusing that rule. Um, I haven't it used just nearly every game for them. They just want to, they just want to play less innings than everybody else. Yeah. But I mean, they, their team, they're another team that I think when we talk about the sec um, with their start 15 and one, um, and with them getting the best transfers all in the country to come to their school, what were your impressions of how that team would be and um, how they are playing right now? Yeah, I mean, I obviously thought that they were a deserving pick to be preseason number one, but I also thought that people reacted way too quickly in trying to crown them, you know, national champions in January <laughs> because it never works out that way. You know, there's never. always some team every year that's, super dominant, whether it's Tennessee or Arkansas or, you know, it, it's been Vanderbilt in this situation before too. Uh, but that team is basically almost never the one that actually ends up winning the national title. And so I think that we can recognize that LSU has probably the most talented roster in the country or in the SEC, but at the same time, there's still probably a bunch of other teams that are, that can and may well still win the national title. And so, you know, I think that, I also think that the way that LSU has been working their rotation is a little strange to me. I don't really Mm -hmm. understand it. Like, I mean, Paul Skeens obviously is, is great, but like, I don't, I don't really get why they're changing up their weekend rotation every single week. I feel like that could burn them in SEC play, but I guess we'll see how that works out. No, I I agree though with the way they're handling their pitching. Like it's kind of like yeah, Thatcher. I think Thatcher is gonna eventually just find his way as to permanent, probably the Saturday guy, at least Sunday. But it's, they're kind of in that situation where it's like having like two solid quarterbacks. Where it's it's good that you have this problem, but if you don't figure it out, you're just gonna really shoot yourself in the foot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think no matter how much talent your pitching staff has, you you have to figure out what the right roles are for Absolutely. them. 
Yeah, I think that's some, uh, an issue that Vanderbilt had the first few weeks of the season too, but I think they've started to figure out like, okay, who's best in the rotation? Who's best yeah. in the bullpen? In the bullpen, who's going multi-innings? Who's only going one inning? I think they've started to solidify all that. And with LSU, it's like they've got to figure out like what they're doing with their pitching because otherwise yeah. it could become an issue. Absolutely. I, I still I was still so thrown off when Riley Cooper, no disrespect to Riley Cooper, I like him, but like, so thrown off when I saw him come out there on Saturday that first weekend. I was bizarre. Will you got anything else? Uh, I thought you were up for a question. Do you have a question? I, I, um, I've got my Pop Tart question, but I don't know if I wanted to, we were going to use that yet. You you can fire it. All right, Ari, I ask it for everybody. Uh, every guest we have, uh, what is your favorite Pop Tart? Uh, I like the the maple pop tarts. Solid. As it's my thing is as long as it's not brown sugar. Adam Cesario chose brown sugar last week. I was a little bummed <laughs> by that, but you know we still like them. <laughs> That's good stuff. Well, I know that this is going to be a massive series, and we both appreciate uh, you taking your time to to break it down with us. We're we're really intrigued by. Vanderbilt hoping the pitching can, you know, keep combining for no hitters and yeah. and do do cool things on the mound because ultimately, um, I mean, that's what Vanderbilt's been known for. Um, I mean, when you look at some of the prominent arms just in the major leagues. And so I think that if they can continue that, I I personally feel like Vanderbilt has a good chance uh to win this series, but We'll see. I just I'm also picking them because Charlie's picking Ole Miss and he kills me in the pick. So I five and zero last week. Yeah. So, but it'll be fun, and we just both really appreciate um, your time taking it to break us down. You you do uh, some great work on on Twitter and and covering Vanderbilt at a very high level. So it, it means a lot to us that you took your time to to break down this series and just Vanderbilt overall. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? Uh.